Morning. That had a little life to it, didn't it? So does this backsplash behind me. It is to indicate James is full of life, um, and we are to be as well. Uh, good morning. My name is Jamie. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, if you are new, we just want to encourage you to fill out one of the green cards so that we can follow up with you. Um, I hope you met somebody new and feel at home today. I know it's hard to come into a new place especially on a, a Sunday morning. And so um, I hope to meet somebody new. If you missed last week, uh, we were filling out our, our Simplify cards. They are in the lobby in a little basket um, or, or right out to the side. So if you wanted to fill that out, we're going to fast uh, together for about 30 days. And it's either social media, uh, Netflix, whatever, food. Uh, we had different things that we talked about. So that's an opportunity um, for you to just fill that out if you didn't get to last time. And then we're going to come together again for our elder-led prayer. I think it's June 24th, somewhere around there, and just kind of see what God has done and, and have the prayer time kind of culminate uh, together there. All right, so we are now in the book of James. If you've got a Bible, go on and turn there and just kind of hold it for, uh, for a minute. If you don't have one, there should be one on the floor. Um, if you'd like that one and you need one, you can take that um, and just have it kind of ready. Because this book is full of things that we're called to do that apart from Christ, that apart from the Holy Spirit in us, we cannot do. And so it may seem like this is a hard book, but at the same time, if you're trying to do these things outside of your, uh, inside of your own power or outside of the power of the Holy Spirit, you're right. It's impossible. God calls us to do things that are impossible on our own. And so this is a, a Christian life, kind of up close and personal. James aims at our progress in the faith, not our perfection, right? Our growth, not our arrival. Our maturity and our, our joy, not this dutiful uh, obligation or, or begrudging obedience. And the main idea of James is that faith isn't complete unless it works, unless it's in motion, um, that, that what real faith is, is, is a faith that works. And we see that. Um, if somebody gifted me a treadmill, say I'm trying to get in shape, and they, they put it in, uh, let's say they put it in my bedroom, right? And, and so I see that treadmill and I walk by it all the time and it reminds me when I walk by it to get on it and, and, and run and, and, and use it for what it's made for, right? Um, if I continue to just walk by it, I'm not using it. I'm, I'm, this is kind of a waste. This, I'm not even sure if it's really, if it really works. Does it really have a motor? I, I, I don't know. And, you know, if you don't ever exercise on it and you start kind of hanging your coat on it and it turns into a, a really expensive coat rack, right? And that, that is kind of how faith will work because it, it might just be a hologram. You don't know. <laughs> yeah. And really taking it for a ride. You know, that may not be faith. It may not be a treadmill. It may be something else. And so we, we want to, investigate how real is our faith today here are three points number one it's intro day so who is james let's find out who he is why was it written and then why are we going through it number one who is james so you may say which james in the bible which is a great question because you can get confused there's a lot of jameses in the bible this is not james of james and john the sons of thunder sons of zebedee those are guys that wanted to be on Jesus' right and Jesus' left when when he was going to rule this is james this is Jesus' half brother half brother can you imagine growing up with jesus as your brother as your big brother just be like more be more like your big brother right sharing every meal with him Sharing a bedroom, maybe. 
Going to school? Soccer practice? Did you know that there is zero biblical evidence that suggests that James, Jesus' brother, ever followed or believed him during his earthly ministry? Zero. (laughs) He grew up... 30 plus years, and, and then Jesus went into his ministry and still, he's like, I don't, I don't think so. That's my brother. Because <laughs> your brother knows you. Think about that. And in fact, John chapter 7 verse 5 tells us that for even his own brothers didn't believe him. They didn't believe in him. That's awkward. I'm the son of God. Oh, I'm not sure you are. I grew up with you. Well, you were pretty good. You gotta have that, that thought in, in your head. Because we read in 1 Corinthians 15, 7, that what Jesus, when he comes back and he appears to the disciples in the 500, he says, then he appeared to James. This James. And then to all the apostles. Now, can you imagine that conversation? What, what would Jesus say to James? I don't know, the Bible doesn't tell us. After James saw him crucified and then raised. I'd love to be a fly on the wall during that, that conversation. I, I told you, James. <laughs> I'm God. Anyway, he's a believer now. And only after the resurrection, only after the resurrection, does he believe. And once he does, he's all in. Right? And if your little, belo- if your little brother believes in you, then maybe there's something to this Jesus being the Son of God after all things. Maybe there's something to it if your little brother believes in you. Because if somebody's going to see your sin, it's going to be your little brother. If there's going to be somebody that's going to expose you and out you, it's going to be your little brother. Because they know you. They've lived with you. They've seen how you really live and what you really believe. And James was passionately devoted to Jesus. You see that when you read this book. He goes on to be a leading figure at the church in Jerusalem. This is after Peter gets, you know, Peter was imprisoned, and then he gets out of prison, prison, and then Peter moves on and starts planting churches. And then James stays in Jerusalem, and he pastors that church there for about 20, for 20 plus years, and he shepherds the church through incredibly difficult times that are financially challenging, and, and then there's great persecution. And James is a pastor who is in the trenches with the people. He sees real life, and and, and he wants the gospel to be formed in God's people, and he has a passion for that. According to church tradition, he upset some of the Jewish leaders in the area, and they took him and they they put him up on the, the roof of the temple, and they threw him off. But it, it didn't kill him. And so... The people that were there that watched this picked up stones and began to stone him to finish it off. And according to Eusebius, it says that he got on his knees because he was unable to stand and prayed for their forgiveness. This is the the story. He's praying for the people's forgiveness as they were murdering him. And then somebody walked up with a, a large stick that was used to knock laundry out and bashed him in the head. And he became a martyr. This is the guy that wrote in chapter 1, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. This is whose work we're reading through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. That James. 
Number two, why was it written? Well, his book is the oldest one in the New Testament. Like it was written early on, like written in the mid-40s. 40s. Not the 1040s, the mid-0040, mid-40s. So Jesus was born sometime 4 B.C., right? And his, his crucifixion is sometime around 30 to 33 A.D., something like that. 30. That's like 10 years afterward. This is very early. This is some of the first Christian writing. This is before Paul. This is before the Gospels. It was written after Stephen was killed. If you remember when we were going through the book of Acts, Stephen was uh, one of the chosen, one of the, the, the servants, the deacons that, that were chosen, and, and he was martyred early on. And after that, there was this great persecution that arose in Jerusalem against all these Christians because there was 3,000 saved and there was 5,000. All these people were getting saved. Over 10,000 people were getting saved, and they're like, we've got to quash this. This is getting out of hand and crazy. And then they, they go get Stephen, and Stephen has this long speech where he kind of gives them the, the history of the, the, the Israelites, and he's like, you stiff-necked people. And they don't like that, so they're grinding their teeth at him. They martyr and stone uh, Stephen as Paul stands, as Saul stands by, right? And then the great persecution kind of comes upon the church. That's this time period. So the Christians fled from Jerusalem. After that, if you read verse 1, it says, James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. This is what they're talking about. The 12 tribes that left to, to get away from the persecution. 12 tribes is, is always referring to Israel. And, and, and we know that because of what Paul's writings are and what James understood and what the Bible teaches is that we are new Israel by faith. That Abraham is our father. That we are included in this. So by extension, he's not just writing to the church, uh, the, the Christians, Jews that, that left and fled, but by implication, all of those who have come to Christ through faith. It's written for us. It was written to a church that was under difficulty. Both economic persecution, they were kind of ostracized because of their beliefs. Uh, there was oppression of the poor. And the church internally was breaking. They were forming factions. They were, it was just getting ugly in some places because that's what we do if we're not focused on Christ. And so James is pushing them to live lives dependent on God and, and not themselves and, and not give yourselves over to these presumed comforts of the world. His refrain is kind of, um, if you've heard the gospel and have been changed, then this is how you should live. That's kind of the refrain that you hear over and over and over again. And it corresponds, uh, the way that he writes is very different. It's kind of circular. It's not just straight in line. It's not one subject and another subject and another. It's got like, in chapter 1, you get kind of a summary. And, and he goes back and hits all those topics again in a little bit more detail. It, it reads more like the book of Proverbs, which he's very familiar with and grew up with in his, in his Jewish learning. And so, in fact, the main two sources for James are the book of Proverbs and the Sermon on the Mount. <laughs> yeah, that, and, and you will find just, oh, pictures. Oh, that sounds like the Sermon on the Mount. Oh, that sounds, it does here. And he's saying, you can't get figs from this kind of, the olive tree. And like, that sounds like what Jesus was saying. That's right. It is. And so the two sources of, of Proverbs and the Sermon on the Mount, it's packed full of these short sayings. And he'll just hit a topic and then he'll just jump to another topic. But it's not new teaching. It's not revelatory. 
He's saying, hey, this is what you've heard. This is what I've taught you when you were here, right? This is what you know from the gospel and being a Christian. It's not new. I just want to make sure that this is being fleshed out in the way that you live so that we'll know that you really did receive this teaching. Right? Is this teaching, is how you live a fruit of the root of the gospel? Probably like a lot of us. You don't need a lot of new teaching. You don't need a lot of new Christian new truth, right? We need to, we need it, the truth through the Holy Spirit to affect us, to truly and deeply affect how we live. That's the heart of James. That's what he's going for. He's a shepherd of God's people. He's pointing the way for us to go. Over here. Go this way. You're breaking down into factions. It's just getting ugly. You're, you're turning in on one another because it's difficult. Stop. If you've heard the gospel, he pleads, this is how we should live. This is not like this, but it should be like this. You're to receive with meekness, right? He's, so he does this in two ways. Number one, receive the implanted word in verse 21, which we just read. And number two, in verse 24, he says, a doer who acts. In other words, you receive the implanted word. You've got the word in you. He uses the word as, as um, another way you could think of that is the gospel. Because that's what is able to save your souls. That's what he says a little bit later in those that little five verse stretch right there in chapter one. The implanted word. It's been put into you. Your eyes have been opened to the gospel, to the truth, to the word, to what Jesus has done, to the story, to who he is, right? You've been opened to that. And so receive that with meekness. Because it is able to save your souls. So that's salvation. That's step one. You cannot even hope to live out James unless you are saved, unless you have trusted Christ, unless you have access to the power of the Holy Spirit. Right? That's salvation. We didn't earn that. We don't deserve it. It is all of grace. We simply trust Jesus and His work on the cross where He paid for our sins. He gave us a new life. Right? And so once you've received salvation and you're transformed, you, your heart has gone from death to life. You've gone from not caring about God to wanting to follow and seek God and to be like Jesus. That's the change. What you do is you realize that what the world is telling you, that you need this new car, you need some money, or you need popularity, or a new relationship, or a new job. If you just had this one other thing, you realize, you know what, that, that doesn't work. That doesn't get it anymore. And I just jump from thing, 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 and it's not, it's not doing it for me. You realize that. Those things aren't bad. They're just not enough. It's not enough. It's not going to satisfy you. You can spend 20, 30 years just switching out what you're trying to get satisfaction from. And what God says, and what we realize is that only God satisfies our hearts. And our hearts, if you are a Christian, our hearts are restless until they see that. Just, just restless. So we're saved first, and then God makes known to us the path of life. We follow. That's obedience. And James is heavy on that. And the Spirit empowers us to obey. Right? You don't work. You don't put your faith in action. You don't work so that God will save you. You work because He did. You don't obey so that God will love you. You obey because He does. It's out of that is where the power comes from. So that you're not, well, I guess I better do it. James says, this is where true life is. This is true joy. This is where you have a flourishing life, a thriving life. You are to be saved from this empty religion, from this pointless ritual, right? Be saved from the false promises of the world. In fact, you think you know what you want. And you think you know what you want will lead to true joy, but you 
don't. God knows better than you what your soul needs to thrive. This is what he's telling us. So why are we going to go through it? Last point. It's a diagnostic tool. It's like going to the doctor. I'm not feeling, I don't think, if things aren't working right, doc, I, help me. All right, well, let's run a battery test. Let's get a CBC. Let's, let's get a blood test. Let's get all these things. How much are you weighing? How much did you weigh last week? Are you losing a lot of weight? Or, or how's your diet? How do you feel? What are your enzyme levels? What are, you know, let's go through and let's see, is your body functioning right? Is our faith sterile, anemic, empty? Now, I'll tell you this. When you do read James, and many of you already have, and you know the challenge was, hey, could you read it once a day? Get it in your head. Give the Holy Spirit all that material to give life to. You're going to have to read it with humility. Because if you don't, you either get mad or you shut down. You get angry or you get depressed. You'll swing one way or the other. I can't do all that. And my answer would be, you're right. Welcome to Christianity. Or you can just go the other way, and I always get, I always get down when I read James because it just asks so much of me. Yeah. It pushes us back to Jesus, to depend on Him in all of life. See, James doesn't want either of those. He wants us to take an honest assessment of ourselves, our relationship with God, and then depend on Him. He gets into real life. We like nice things. We honor those quicker that can honor us back more than those that can't or won't. That our tongue or the way we speak to or about others reveals our heart. That we have divided hearts toward God. Ah, I love God. I love God. Wait, wait. No, no. I'd rather do this. He deals with the reality of that. And he doesn't mess around. That we don't reach out to the marginalized and the poor. That there is a danger of wealth. It's not bad in itself. There are things that come along with that we have to be aware of. That there is this constant pull of the world to satisfy us. And the point is for us to have that exposed in us, to, to have us see that with our eyes and learn and repent wherever we need to repent, for Jesus to step, step in and say, yep, that's why I'm here. You can't. But let me tell you this, you will thrive and flourish when you follow me and you live like this. It's like the Ten Commandments. So The Ten Commandments, that's all the things I can't do. So if I'm going to be a Christian, I can't do this and I can't do this and I can't do this and I got to do this and I got to do that. Now, how would, how, would, how, would, how would my wife feel if somebody says, how's your marriage going? Well, I'm having to keep those promises. I mean, I said, if you're for richer, for poorer, and I've been, well, I've been poorer. I haven't been richer yet. I'm still waiting on that one. And, you know, for singleness and health, and I don't know, you know, I mean, I'm doing the best I can to keep those promises. I mean, it's hard sometimes. I mean, it's really hard. <sighs> but, I mean, you know, I'm married. I'm married, so I, I got I to gotta do it. Number one, is that honor my wife? Number two, is that really what I signed up for? Number three, is that really what that, those statements are about? 
No, but I sure did just downshift into that because I focused on me keeping stuff and my ability and not the prize. That stuff is a result of the relationship. This is just so we're like, hey, is it rich or poor? Is it better in hell? Is it all these things? It is because you know what? I get to hang out with this lady that I am head over heels and have been for over 15 years. Actually, plus 18, 23. Anyway, I won't do the math right now. But it took me a while to figure out that's, <laughs> that was right. I'm slow. But what, what I'm, what I'm telling, saying is, this is what is a result of love. And it's like, here's a covenant. Here's what I want to do. Not what I have to do. I get to be a part of this. And we get to agree to this in front of people. And then we get to measure, hey, I'm not doing great here. I want to. I, I'm just, I'm failing. Could you forgive me? Because I know that I want to love you. I've lost sight of that because I've gotten pulled by the world or I've gotten pulled left or right here. That's not what this is about. When I step back at the end of the day, I know even in our arguments, I love you more than anything. I will die for you. I will rich report any of that stuff and more. Now, now that's what James is getting at. True life, not following some petty set of rules. That's not Christianity. That's religion. And James exposes that. And so let's understand that. Let's latch on to that. We're studying James because we want to love each other better. In the micro, and not just say it as this general, oh, I love everybody, you know, Sunday morning I love you because it's easy and you put your face on and you go away. But James is all up in our business, (laughs) you know. It's kind of like when you're sitting across from somebody at lunch and they've got something in their teeth and, you know, you're, you're like, should I say something? Am I looking right at it? You know, I'm just going to love them well and not say anything and let them go through the whole. And James is like, hey, <laughs> you got something in your teeth. I love you, but you don't want to go around like that because that's just going to make everything worse. So I'm going to love you in such a way as to help you. Here's a mirror. Yeah, it's right, right here. Yeah, you got it. Have a great day. This this is the book of James. Can you receive that with humility? Or will you stand over the word of God and say, I'll tell you what I will take and what I want, and this is a buffet that I choose. Or do you say, I kneel before the word of God. And where I disagree, what I understand is that I'm missing something. And in humility, would, would you show me what that is, Holy Spirit? That's the prayer that we're going to pray. Now, here's what we're going to do. You're like, Jamie, that is the shortest sermon I've ever heard in my life. It's not over yet. We're going to go old school this morning. I know some of you have been doing this in your missional community. You've read the book of James, and you're like, this is very awkward. It's not going to be awkward. We're going to do it right now. We're going to read James. I know we just came off of tech, and I know that our, our, our brains have been conditioned to like pay attention for like 30 seconds, but I want you to try to stick with me. If you need to follow it in your Bible, the same version should be on the floor. I'm not going to read it perfectly. I, I know that. But this is the way it happened back then. He wrote a letter to people who may or may not could write, read and could write, you know. And so somebody would read it. And they'd all be gathered around like in a home setting. And like, go, we just got a letter from James. This is amazing. I can't believe it even made it here. Everybody, everybody in. 
put down, put down your bread. And they were probably gathered together maybe on the first day of the week and they were taking the Lord's Supper with a, a piece of bread and, and they, were, they were commemorating and then maybe they were singing some songs. They're like, wait, 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 wait. We've got a word. We've got a word from James. Let's gather around. And so when we read this, we usually go scripture by scripture, verse by verse. And so we, we sometimes will take it apart so much that you miss the big picture. And you get on the micro and you just focus on the micro. And here's what this verse means right here in this context with the verse before and the verse after. That's great. But let's zoom back and take in the entire letter. We've never done that before. And see what it was kind of like. And ask the Holy Spirit to move. Um, listen for areas that sound like the Sermon on the Mount. Listen for chapter 1 saying, here's the tongue. And then chapter five, uh, 3 coming back around to the tongue and going out a little bit more. Or faith uh, that, that has to have works or is dead. And then chapter 2 will touch on that again. Or, or the rich in chapter 1. And then you'll see it again in chapter 5. You see how it, he's kind of writing in this wisdom literature. It's a genre we're not really familiar with just as Americans. And different phrases are going to hit different people in different ways as we read. And so I just simply ask you to maybe follow along. After this, we're going to take the Lord's Supper. And that's just, I'll explain that at the end. So let's do this together. Holy Spirit, speak to us. James, chapter 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion. Greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. God cannot be tempted with evil, and He Himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers and sisters. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. We know, know this, my beloved brothers and sisters. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, 
Put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who intently at his natural face looks into a mirror. And he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Chapter 2. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you, sit here in a, a good place, while you say to the poor man, You stand over there or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers and sisters, has God not chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But would you, but, but you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you? And the ones who drag you into court are not they the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you are called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well. But if you show partiality, you're committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of it all. For he who said, Do not commit adultery. Also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone says he has faith but does not have works. Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things that they need for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works. And faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, 
Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Chapter 3. Not many of you should become teachers my brothers and sisters, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if one, if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to also bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed, and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers and sisters, these things ought not be so. Does a spring pour, pour, pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers and sisters, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. But who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure and then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Chapter 4. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. 
Or do you not? Do you suppose it is of no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that has made us to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself before the Lord and He will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers and sisters. The one who speaks against a brother or sister judges his brother or sister. He speaks evil against the law and he judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Come now. You who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you're a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it is sin. Chapter 5. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which kept which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. self indulgence. You have fatted your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth? Being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also, be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers and sisters, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath. 
But let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Is anyone suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of the faith will make the one who is sick, will save the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers and sisters, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whomever, whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. This is the word of the Lord. We're going to pray. And then we're going to take the Lord's Supper as we usually do. There are three directives. If the worship team can come on up. Three directives up on the screen. Number one, you humble yourself before the Lord and ask Him to give you a receptive heart for His Word. There's a lot packed into that. And we're going to spend the next ten weeks asking the Lord to change us. To reveal Himself to us. To show His glory and His honor to us. And to help us follow Him more closely as a body. Number two, ask Him to reveal His Word as we read James together. The implanted Word. The Word that you received from Him. The Word of truth that brought us forth, that gave us life. That Word. And then take a moment to just bless the Lord. We sing that song, Bless the Lord, O my soul. Magnify His name. Praise Him. We praise Him for who He is. We thank Him for what He's done. Just take a moment. Let it spill over. If I start praying, keep going. This is a moment for you to respond to the reading of the Word. Hopefully the Holy Spirit has jarred something in us, has nudged something in us, has pushed us, prodded us. We'll take a couple minutes, and then we'll take the Lord's Supper together.